theme song at the start of the show. Stop wasting time on the theme song. Gonna watch a movie, got a thousand more to go. Stop wasting time on the theme song. Watching everything on Disney seeming like a chore. And since I started singing, they already added more. So stop wasting time on the theme song. Just tell us the name of the show. It's called the Podcast Martini Shows. What a terrible name for the show. It's worse than the theme song. Hello and welcome to the podcast War Tennis Shoes, a podcast where we watch and rank all 1,821 movies on Disney+. Plus. My name is Sean and I am here with my two co-hosts, Bob and Rob. And Bob, how are you doing this week, man? You sound a little bit like a, under the weather. I am feeling a bit under the weather. I don't know if it's just the uh, thing people call snow mold that happens in this time of year when all the snow starts melting and all the shit underneath starts getting exposed. So I think I might just be my allergies are a little bit irritated. But uh, other than that, I'm alive. All right. <laughs> Well, that's the best we can hope for. Well, second best, next to not having that allergy thing. But (laughs) second best is still pretty good. Rob, how are you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good, all things considered. My wife uh, got COVID again, uh, but I somehow am immune uh, this second time so far. Touch wood. Well, you're invincible, Boris style from GoldenEye. I uh, I just recorded a uh, another podcast Ooh. with um, the Disney Odd Pod. I guessed it on their show. It was a whole lot of fun. We did that yesterday. So this is the Disney Odd Pod? That's the name of it? Yeah. Uh, they uh, do something kind of similar. They're reviewing old Disney films, not just specifically on Disney+, Plus, uh, but all Disney films. I think they've got 417 they need to watch. Uh, so when I told them that we were at uh, 1,800, uh, they were a little taken aback at an insurmountable goal. But it was fun. We reviewed Brother Bear, the 2003 animated feature starring Joaquin Phoenix. You'll have to listen to that episode whenever it gets aired. Spoiler alert, just not that good of a movie. Okay, so I guess we don't need to listen to the episode whenever it gets aired to get your thoughts on it. Okay, cut that part out. No reason to listen to it, listeners. You got the gist here, so... No! Don't go listen to Disney Oddbot. Cat and D, you you, you heard it from Rob himself. (laughs) He already gave away the ending. No, 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 listen to that. Ah, come on, guys. Sean, how you doing? (laughs) Weather's pretty nice here today, and uh, I'm drinking coffee because we're recording early in the morning, the wee hours of noon. (laughs) I'm going to try and push through. What's our first segment of the day? We we have multiple segments on the show. What is our first segment for today? Well, this isn't a regular occurrence segment, but uh, I think both of you got some early birthday presents from me. Uh, the unboxing segment of our podcast has become a somewhat regular occurrence. You're right. You're right. It <laughs> has. <laughs> I need to change the intro. We need to just change the pitch for the episode. It needs to be... Hello and welcome to the podcast War Tennis Shoes, the podcast where we buy each other presents and then unbox them live <laughs> on the air. The internet's only audio-based unboxing show. Dude, we're just ahead of the curve. And what are we uh, opening today? You, you guys, your birthday's about a month apart. Bobby's, yours is earliest. Would you open up yours? First? I don't know if the audience needs reference for this, but as of recording right now, my birthday is in a few days. By the time this airs, I will already be 37 years old. Rob's not just buying us gifts so we can open them on air. He's not. (laughs) What are we going to do next week? This is the new pitch for the show, Bob. Rob, you've started something here. Next week, you need to get us new presents, okay? Okay, but no, this is like possibly the greatest gift I could have ever opened, because Rob has bought me a Goofy book. (laughs) Oh my god, you got a Goofy book? (laughs) 
written by R.A. Salvador, my roofer. Yeah. Based on the wacky new animated movie from most Disney pictures, a goofy oh, book. Oh, my God. You said it was one of your favorite movies as a kid. And so I tried to buy you a goofy movie, but I, I messed up again and I got you a goofy book. God damn it, Scholastic Book Fair. How many book fairs did you have to go to to find this? Uh, okay, editor's note. Please see our episode on a goofy movie, True Believers, to find out what the hell we're laughing about. All right, come on, read read us the opening. I want to I want to hear what a goofy book sounds like. <laughs> White puffy clouds dotted the sky. A green field stretched into the distance. Max sighed. It was the perfect setting for romance. Ooh. Suddenly, he spied Roxanne. Roxanne, his dream girl. Roxanne, the love of his life. Max. Roxanne cried. At last you're here. She held out her arms. Wow, thought Max. This is a dream come true. Wow. <laughs> Bobby, uh, I know what another bonus episode is. It's just going to be Bobby doing the audiobook for a goofy Reading movie. the audio for a goofy book. <laughs> I'm in. That was awesome. Okay, it's my turn. It's my turn. We all get over the present, except the listeners. Ah. Playing this episode is opening a gift every week, Sean. This episode is your gift, listener. Yes. All right. Uh, I'm excited. I'm opening. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. Listener, if only you could see how excited I am. My face. Oh, my God. Uh, I can't open it. I can't do it. <laughs> I'm trying. I don't know how to. Oh, yeah. I got it. <laughs> ah, I'm strong. Oh, my God. You got me a jigger. A uh, mixology gear shot measurement glass. Yeah. All right, cool. So next time we do a drinking game, I don't need to use baking <laughs> cups. Yeah, you don't need to use a quarter of a cup. To pour in my vodka. Uh, Sean, it, uh, this is the second part of your present to go with that jigger. I got you a uh, another bottle of Gordon's gin. Wait, 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 I'm looking at you holding this, Rob. This isn't a present yeah. if you have it. What is going on? I gotta on? send you it. Those ones were arrived, they were by a delivery company. I gotta actually mail this one out oh, to you. Oh, okay. I thought you were just gonna, like, drink it for me. You were just gonna no. be like, this is your present. It's delicious, Sean. You're yeah. welcome. I wanted to uh, get in on the action, so I, I got myself a present, too. And I even wrapped it. This just turned into the saddest <laughs> yeah. birthday ever. I don't know if you guys can <laughs> this see This is it. the worst podcast that I've ever heard. <laughs> can you guys you got see- yourself MODOK. I got myself MODOK. Yes, I did. <laughs> because you could hear my uh, laughter all the way in Toronto, Sean, that I needed to get myself. Here's the thing, Rob. Yeah. I am... 90% certain that I almost bought that for you, and 10% certain that I did buy that for yes! you. Um, yes! I can't remember if I bought it and ordered it for you. I almost did. It was, like, in my shopping cart on Amazon, and I think the reason I didn't, because the MODOK, like, little toy thing has, like, the metal robot face on it. Yeah. I wasn't sure if you could take that off, and I was like, no, I want to get him the stupid fucking... I know. ...goofy smile face. I don't... The Corey <laughs> Stoll smile face. I I don't want the robot face, so I don't think I bought it for you, but I almost did. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, it doesn't. You can't see Corey Stoll's face, but I might actually just print out a picture of Corey Stoll's face and just tape it on the front. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for tuning in, listener. Tune in next week to the podcast, War Tennis Shoes, and hear what Robbie bought us next. Oh, well, that's it. We're done. We don't have to talk about Evita now. What's the next segment, Rob? I think it's, did anyone write a review this week? Did anybody write a review this week? Da, 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 da. Let's take a look. Let's take a peek. Did anybody write a review this week? So, did anyone write a review this week? We did get a review. This one is from Marmot Zero. Okay, cool. 
And it is five stars. Mmm, I like that. I still enjoying it if I haven't seen the movie. Ooh, okay. Sounds good. Sounds good. Anything else? I just listened to the Mrs. Doubtfire episode. I laughed a lot and I really enjoyed it. Thank you for putting this podcast together. You're very welcome, Marmot. One thing that I like about this podcast compared to something like The Rewatchables is that the hosts actually walk through the entire plot of the movie. This means that I could realistically listen to the episodes about movies I haven't seen. With The Rewatchables, they don't walk through the plot, so if you haven't seen the movie already, you get lost. There should be some dings against The Rewatchables yeah, in I this know. movie. This isn't, this isn't so much a review of our show as much as it's a negative review for the rewatchables so the podcast war tennis shoes does not take responsibility for any reviews that are read on this show rewatchables yeah it may or may not be an excellent show i have nothing against you keep reading rob it sounds so good so far only bad (laughs) things to the rewatchables only good things to us well this is where it might take a little turn uh it says constructive feedback Uh Uh-oh. The podcast starts really slowly. Uh Uh-oh. Oh, this guy's going to love our unboxing episode we just did today. I was just thinking that. (laughs) Marmot, oh my gosh. You should have told me this before we spent 20 minutes unboxing things at the beginning of this episode. (laughs) I think it'd be better to get right down to business and start talking about the movie instead of going through the content you currently have in the first five minutes. Mm. Uh, What is going on with the weird title? Nobody is going to know what the podcast is about. What are you talking about? (laughs) Obviously what it's about. It's about unboxing. It's, yeah. it's about we buy presents for yeah. each other and unbox them live in the podcast. I thought it was self-explanatory. That's what the podcast wore tennis shoes means. Yeah. All right. With old movies, I always assume it's going to contain something terrible that would offend contemporary sensibilities. That comes with the territory. It gets kind of old when you bring it up five separate times. I get it. Thanks again, five stars. Marmot outsmarted us because he put the constructive criticism in the five-star review. And I will read anything that comes in a five-star review. So, listener, if you want to read in and you have some constructive criticism, like Robbie is too loud or... Robbie's movies picks are all really bad, or Robbie has a big, ugly, stupid face, but you put it in a five-star review, I will read that in the next episode. Thank you very much for the five-star review. I don't know, perhaps apologies to Rewatchables. We don't know what you did to her, Marvin. Our genuine apologies to Rewatchables. I think we owe them a five-star review. I'm going to go listen to them just to double-check. After this episode, I'm going to download the episode, I'm going to listen to it, and we'll see. Maybe maybe they're excellent. Yeah. All right. Well, taking that constructive feedback to heart, um, what should we rename the show? Alternative titles for the show. We could call it The Strongest Podcast in the World. I was thinking that exact same uh, one. We could call it... Now you see me, now you podcast. You, we could call it... The Barefoot Podcast. The Barefoot Podcast. <laughs> Straight to the point, I love it. Take off the tennis shoes. <laughs> Just bare feet. We've renamed it from the podcast War Tennis Shoes to the Barefoot yeah. Podcast, because he had a problem with tennis shoes. <laughs> All right, well, thank you again for the review. Um, if you want to reach us, you can review in your Apple podcast platform. You can review on Facebook. We are at Pod War. You can send it an email to the podcast war tennis shoes at gmail.com and you put five stars on that and we will read almost anything. Just not, you know, racist. Yeah, yeah. But if it's about Robbie being too loud, then we'll, we'll read that. Hey, now hey, that no. we've wasted a lot of time before talking about the movie, let's talk about the movie. Do we have to talk about the movie? You made us talk about Luck of the Irish and fucking G-Force. Bob, you picked the movie this week. What movie did we watch? We watched 1996's Evita, released by Hollywood Pictures, directed by Alan Parker. 
written by Alan Parker and Oliver Stone, starring Madonna. Why did you choose this? As a child of the 90s, I remember the hype leading up to this movie, and I remember the song being a single on the radio. And then the movie came out, and you never heard about it ever again. <laughs> when I saw it was on Disney+, Plus, I was like, oh, I hate musicals, I have to pick this. I mean, I'm just going to assume that that logic flows. You hate musicals, so you have to pick this. All right. Okay. And, uh, I mean, spoiler alert, turns out I still hate musicals. <laughs> <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't win you over? <laughs> In fact, if anyone were to say to me, well, Bobby, why do you hate musicals? I would say Exhibit A, 1996's Evita by Alan Parker. I, I actually had a uh, theory here. Sean, you and I were kind of texting in the group chat about how much we were like, what is happening in this film? And Bobby never commented once. I thought this was just a, a ruse that Bobby made us watch Evita and he never watched it himself. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to come in and be like, I didn't watch it. I'm just here to unbox the presents. I'm done. See you guys later. <laughs> <laughs> but Bobby, can you confirm? Did you actually watch this movie? I did watch this movie. Okay. Watched it with my wife. When I saw this pop up on Disney+, Plus, part of it was that in our review of The Three Musketeers, we discussed how The Three Musketeers of Rock released a single to go along with that <laughs> film. Yeah. They made Don't Cry For Me Argentina a single on the radio when this movie was coming out as part of the press for it. And I was just like, fuck the 90s were weird, where they like cast a pop star in the lead in this opera and then mega market it to so that there's a single to go along with this movie. It was The 90s were a very bizarre time, and I'm kind of fascinated by it, and not just because I grew up during the 90s. Well, I mean, that's not just the 90s. They still do that. Lady Gaga was in A Star is Born. And Barbara Streisand and Chris Christopherson were in A Star is Born. And Judy Garland was in A Star is Born. <laughs> so, like, this is just a very common occurrence. A lot of that type of stuff happened in the 90s. Like, there was lots of... But uh, they had Beyonce, right, in Austin Powers 3. Well, she was in Lion King. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I don't know. I'm always very fascinated when, like, companies try and do this. And, like, I would argue, like... Lady Gaga being in things versus Madonna is it looks like Lady Gaga can maybe act. I think that's a little harsh. We'll get to it. I'm going to do a little <laughs> bit of background on this production. So Evita started as a rock opera concept album. It was written and produced by Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice. Tim Rice, who did the lyrics for Lion King and became a big 90s Disney mainstay, started out earlier in his career being the lyricist for most of Andrew Lloyd Webber's musicals. They started in the early 70s with uh, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. They then went on to do Jesus Christ Superstar, which was a huge smash both on the West End in London and on Broadway. Jesus Christ Superstar was a sung-through rock opera musical. The specifics of that is that there's no dialogue. Every single element of the story is sung. In one way or another. Uh-huh. Avita is the same way. It is a sung-through rock opera. Originally re released simply as a concept album, it was then produced on the West End about three years later, I believe. It was um, directed by Harold Prince, who then also directed the Broadway production of it. They attempted to mount it into a movie many times over the 80s, mostly by Oliver Stone, who became attached really? in the mid-80s and was committed to adapt it. He was going to cast Meryl Streep. What? And then the production was actually put into turnaround and sold off to Disney. So the story of Evita is a true story. It's a biopic of Eva Perón, who was the first lady of Argentina, died young at the age of 33 from cancer. She was the wife of Juan Perón, who was 
a very popular populist leader, but had a lot of enemies and was probably an ally of the Nazis and so probably is not a very heroic figure. Lots of different opinions about whether or not Eva Peron was a good leader, a bad leader, a vain, you know, socialite, a social climber, all of these different things. And the story in the way it was constructed by Tim Rice and Andrew Lloyd Webber is presented, I think it's intended to be presented, as a unreliable narrator where different people are giving different perspectives on Eva Peron and the audience is supposed to kind of make up their mind. The show, I think, is intended not to take a particular position on what she is like. The problem is, Tim Rice based his research on this musical on a book called Avita, The Woman and the Whip, and mm. it is heavily influenced by anti- Perone propaganda and historical evidence is that a lot of the stuff in there just isn't true. It's fashioned in a way to demonize Eva Perone, which kind of bothers me because when I watch this, this movie is like super misogynistic. It really treats this woman very poorly. That was a comment my wife had made was she said for a movie that's about Eva Perone, she's voiceless in her own story. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's narrated by Antonio Banderas. Who hates her. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the structure of it is it's mostly men singing about how much they hate her and judge her or other women condemning her for sleeping her way to the top of where she is. That's basically the narrative. The movie is fashioned in a way where it's like, here's a story about a woman who slept her way to the top. <laughs> women, right? And like, first of all, I think a lot of those facts are not true. <laughs> they were made <laughs> up in kind of like a political propaganda way. And secondly, like, even if they are true, who the fuck cares? Yeah. Who the fuck cares who this woman slept with? Yeah, that's a, a huge problem, too. And I, for the most part, a lot of it is a true story And that in a predominantly Catholic nation for, you know, uh, I'm a bastard and I think it's a silly word to use against things, but I'll use that word because it's the view of the Catholic Church that like to be a bastard child in a Catholic nation of like a working class family to working your way up to being married to the president is kind of a phenomenal story of someone's life to live. And this movie condemns her for it. She was going to be elected vice president. Yeah. Yes. And this movie hates her. I keep trying to say, I think the intention was not necessarily to paint her and demonize her. I think there was an intention going in to create this like ambiguity where it was like, oh, some people hate her. Some people love her. What's the truth? Let's show both sides. But it doesn't show both sides or it doesn't. No. It never shows her perspective. And that's what bothers me so much is that this is a movie about a woman and it never lets her tell her own story. It never shows her own perspective about her life. It just is a bunch of men commenting about her. Which is unfortunate. I don't I don't like watching it. <laughs> it's unfortunate because yeah. the my favorite song in the whole film was the one where um, Antonio Banderas obviously is narrating all the past lovers she's had. That was like the best part and the best song in the film to me. And uh, yeah, it's just about basically how she slept her way to the top. We'll, we'll get to it later, but my favorite song moment in the entire movie was the like chorus of brokenhearted men who she all slept with all standing together in a group singing to her. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that one. The guitarist who she's sleeping with at the beginning of the movie, it condemns him for doing it to her, and then, but also condemns her for 
for having it done to her. I don't know. Like it's it's yeah. extremely strange. What uh, what is your guys's? Uh, Bobby said that he picked this movie because he remembered it being uh, like the song being on the radio. I kind of remember the song from movie trailers. I don't actually remember it being on the radio, but like everyone knew the lines "Don't cry for me, Argentina." Like at in '96 or whenever this movie came out, but I'd never seen it. I had never seen it, had no desire to see it. Yeah, no, I had never seen it. No idea that it was a full musical. I had never seen it either. (laughs) I knew it was an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical, but like most Andrew Lloyd Webber musicals, I did not seek it out because I usually don't like him. His stuff is usually bad. (laughs) So this is the first time that I had ever seen this or encountered the material. I was actually thinking this morning, the closest I would have come to remembering this film existed was when Sean and I were in ninth grade and you bought that Me First in the Gimme Gimme's album where they cover the song from this film. I think that's why I knew the lyrics to it. I'm pretty sure that's why, actually. (laughs) Because I don't think I've ever listened to the actual soundtrack. Uh, A little spoiler alert, getting ahead of ourselves, but although I very much did not like this movie, by the end of it, I was interested enough to go listen to the original concept album. Okay. And, uh, I think it might be my favorite Andrew Lloyd Webber work. (laughs) It's a low bar, but I think the music's actually pretty good. I don't think it's adapted well, and I don't think it works well in the film because of the way that Parker shoots the thing. Sure. This would have been just a few years after Juan Perón's second time in power, because he had a second rise for like a very brief period in the early 70s, didn't he? So this would have come out like within two, three years maybe of that? Yes, and I think that's why Tim Rice was interested in telling the story, because when he returned to power... In the early 70s, and then passed away, I believe, a couple of years into his third and final term as president, they also brought back Eva Perón's remains, which there was a whole political thing. I'm not going to get into that, but it returned her story to the news, I think. Mm, okay. It was yeah. spoken about a lot because the Perones regained power. And that's how Tim Rice, I think, was introduced to the story. And he was like, I love this story. I'm going to tell a musical about it. And... I guess, I don't know, I guess he did. <laughs> you could make the argument that... Yeah, that's how we all feel. This is a story. I'm not sure it's her story, though. No. I walked into this movie knowing nothing about Ava Perone, and I think at the end of it, I knew less. 100, like, all I could think of as I was watching this film was like, how much of this didn't happen? And even my wife is just like, I wonder how well this film was received in Argentina. It was banned. Yeah, okay. I will say that I, I know more about Ava Perone after watching this film because I spent half of the film just on wikipedia just reading her biography because i could not stand this film at all (laughs) doing this podcast and watching the film did provoke me to go and read some yeah do some research on her so i feel like i did learn a little bit but i didn't learn it from this movie no and in fact there are elements of her story where afterwards i was like oh that's what the movie was (laughs) supposed to be about right that's the same thing it it inspired me to be like okay what actually what actually is her story yeah first of all it's over two hours long it feels like it's approximately eight hours long and yet, I don't think they covered anything in her story. Most of it is just pictures of stationary men singing the recitatives over and over and over again while they, like, slut-shame her. And then eight hours later, the movie ends, and you're like, who was Eva Perone? <laughs> what was this about? <laughs> uh, okay, anyway, can we, can we start? Because the sooner we start, yeah, the we sooner start. we get to the end. Yeah. 
Bob, how does this movie start? Hollywood Pictures. So it is a Disney release under their Hollywood Pictures banner. Yep. yep. So the movie starts with a bunch of people, and I believe they're ac- they're actually watching an Ava Peron film in the theater. Like, they're not watching Madonna recreating it. They're actually watching it. That would make sense. And the owner of the theater turns the projector off and comes running to the theater and says, Ava Peron has entered mortality, to which then everyone in the theater starts crying in, like, the most awful, melodramatic fucking way you can possibly imagine. <laughs> but then, the shining light of this movie and the only only thing I enjoyed about it, Antonio Banderas pops his head up <laughs> and begins to sing you the introduction to the story of this film. And I gotta say that I fucking loved Antonio Banderas in this movie so much. <laughs> okay. All right. I could not stop laughing when he started singing because I couldn't believe that he was the narrator of the movie. Singing directly to camera. That was the thing. When he started doing that. I was like, oh, what am I getting into? When he was on screen, my wife started, cho- she was laughing and she started choking. And I was like, baby, are you okay? And she, she cleared her throat and just went, sorry, it's too sexy. <laughs> the beginning of this film, right? There was no subtitles. And I was like, oh, is this some streaming thing where I got to put subtitles on if they're going to be speaking in a different language? And so I was fiddling around with that as the, I guess, the owner of the movie theater came in and said that. Ava Perone had entered mortality. She entered immortality. Okay, I gotcha. Mortality's a lot. So he came in and said that, and spoiler alert, I thought Madonna played Evita, so I didn't know what the hell he was saying. (laughs) So I was like, who are the, who died? What's happening? I don't know what's happening in this film. (laughs) And so I was very confused when Antonio Banderas started singing. I was like, did the president die? Is that what's happening? And then they went to this funeral and I was like, who's, who died? Evita loosely translates to little Ava. Um, Okay. And that was what the people of Argentina often called Eva Perón. So that is why she's often referred to as Evita in the movie. They kind of go back and forth. Usually the it's titled Evita and she's called Evita when the public are like chanting her name. But otherwise people refer to as Eva Perón. I gotcha. I did like the opening of this film. So the musical is based on a kind of Brechtian approach to theater because it has this narrator that talks directly to the audience and it's supposed to disassociate the audience from the narrative and remind them that they're watching a story Yeah, to make them think about what they're seeing. Sorry, just to clarify, that's like referencing the playwright Bertolt Brecht? Yes. The Three Penny Opera German musical writer. One of the things he wrote about was like the alienation effect, where if you remind people that they're seeing a show that isn't real, it will provoke them to think more about what they're seeing. It won't just like wash over them. And so things like talking to the audience directly, breaking the fourth wall, letting people see the wires, you know, all of those kinds of things are like this alienation approach of Brechtian theater. But opening the film, it almost becomes more Brechtian because you are watching a film where people are watching a film. And this is not a novel approach. It's also how Citizen Kane opens, and it's usually an approach for the filmmaker to remind the audience that they are seeing something that is fake, that is like a perspective. Like you're seeing one person's story. This is not a true story. This is fake, right? Yeah. So you are you have to think about what you think the truth is. And it's a show. And Evita, as First Lady, was putting on a show. What is reality? What is politics? What is entertainment? All of that stuff. And I feel like this opening is like... As deep as the movie gets, there's too many ideas and not enough execution of ideas in this film. None of it pays off in any way. I felt so confused at all times about yeah. what the filmmakers were trying to do. And I don't know if it's worth pointing out at this point, too, that uh, Antonio Banderas' character is named Che. 
and I spent a great deal of time in the film saying, okay, is he supposed to be Ernesto Guevara, Che, or is he just a guy named Che? And the answer to that is maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the original Broadway production explicitly named the character Jay Guevara. Oh, wow. I would say mostly this film is just an excuse to look at Antonio Banderas in very cute outfits. <laughs> yep, yep. Now he's a butcher, now he's a revolutionary, and now he's a waiter. Oh, and now he's a journalist. And I was like, oh, he looks good in all of these outfits. <laughs> Um, one thing I will say is that uh, Jonathan Price is third build above the title. It's Madonna, Antonio Banderas, Jonathan Price. <sighs> None of those people are Argentinian. None of those people are Latino or Latina. All right. What happens next, Rob, after this movie theater opening scene? Um, this is where we get the flashback to a very young uh, Ava Peron trying to go to the funeral of her, I guess, estranged father. We get the fact that she was born out of wedlock, I guess, probably into poverty. And her father was actually kind of well to do. From what I gathered? Yeah. So the okay. bio, as I understand it, is that her father had two different families. Oh. He was relatively well-to-do in middle class. She was from the unwed family. So her father had a wife and children and then had a mistress who had her own children. His second family was not allowed to attend the funeral. And then it's, it's juxtaposing that with cuts to Ava Perón's funeral. Uh, in the capital of Argentina. Buenos Aires. Big Apple. Oh, God. Shut up with that fucking song. It's been stuck in my head since I watched this movie, and I hate it. Shut up. The juxtaposition is of this small town, poor family who can't even attend this middle class family's funeral, juxtaposed with a state funeral where all of Argentina attends, you know, this grandeur and weeps at the passing of Eva Peron. So obviously it's setting up, look at where she started, where she got to. Isn't this going to be an epic story? Don't you want to watch it? Kind of. And then by the end, I was like, eh, I kind of wish I hadn't. <laughs> That's not the story you sold. So Madonna should not have been playing this Argentinian woman. Madonna is from Michigan. Her father is second generation Italian. Her mother is French Canadian. When they shoot this flashback, first of all, they put the Mexico filter on it, so everything's orange. <laughs> the Mexico filter, yep. Yeah. Poor Argentina has the Mexico filter on it, but rich Argentina doesn't. Rich Argentina looks yep. like a white people town. That's a problem. <laughs> yep. The other problem is that young Eva Peron is played by a young girl of color, and I just am really bothered by the fact that this movie suggests... Isn't it nice that this little brown girl grew up to be a beautiful white woman? Yep. Yeah. So, although I, I I don't think Madonna should have been playing this part, I'll say two things. First of all, she won the Golden Globe for Best Actress in a Musical or Comedy for this role. And secondly, I don't think she's terrible. She's okay. She, like, the thing is, like, she's a wonderful singing voice. I mean, I'm, I'm going to hate it again, but it was like, I, to me, everyone was blown out of the water by Antonio. Like, when he's singing and, <laughs> when he's singing and giving people the stink eye, you're just like, yeah, all right, he's mad. <laughs> all right, so after her funeral, Antonio Banderas sings a song about how much he hates Ava Perón. In the lyrics, he's like, everybody loved Ava, but she actually really sucked, and I'm going to tell you why she sucked. So it's a standard trope in musicals. The un the enemy of the protagonist is the narrator. It's Aaron Burr from Hamilton. It's oh, yeah. Judas in Jesus Christ Superstar. It happens all the time. He's talking to the audience, and he's like, you're going to learn that even though she was the first lady and everybody loved her, she did nothing for years. In my research, looking into this, 
again, the Perone administration is very problematic, so I am in no way presenting this as like a pro Eva Perone argument, but First of all, she really only lived through the first administration, so she was first lady for like six years. And during those six years, she like pushed through the women's suffrage movement. She was like a political leader. She started the first women's political party in Argentina. She started a charity foundation that became like one of the most dominant charity foundations in Argentina. And it's like... I kind of feel like she did a lot, Antonio Banderas. She was like 27 when that happened. That's insane. And like, honestly, the the class thing plays a huge part in that story in the real world. Antonio Banderas is like, she did nothing for years. And it's like, well, a lot of what she did was for women. And I kind of feel like this movie is like, yeah, but who cares about that? (laughs) She didn't do anything for us, the men who labor. Oh, my God. Well, and like, that was kind of the thing, too, is like the title card for the movie is like, Hollywood's depiction of a true life story. And I was like, oh, so it's all lies. The movie does not talk at all about what she did to push through women's suffrage in Argentina. And I feel like that's a pretty big deal. And the fact that the movie just doesn't mention it and then it's like she did fucking nothing is weird. Like, that's a very strong propaganda position to take. Why are you doing that? Yeah. Oh, Oliver Stone. (laughs) Madonna's then, she's supposed to be 15 in the next scene. I was super confused there, because I was like, wait, how old is she supposed to be? Like, she's clearly 40. Yeah. She's clearly 40. 38, I think, is what it was. This has nothing to do with the movie, but just when I saw the name, like, Jimmy Nail, I was just like, okay, well, that dude's obviously British. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, he is. That name is awesome, because he sounds like the kind of, like, lower-level gangster you have to talk to to meet the big boss. Like, someone in the back corner is like, I know you need to speak to you, gotta meet Jimmy Nail in the back alley, he'll take you to where you need to go. I, I, I read, like, on this part, too, that it, like, it paints this portrait of, like, she was having this affair with this traveling musician, and then she traveled to Buenos Aires with him, and even a really base reading on Wikipedia says that it's like, well, no, there's no record of him ever, like, playing that town during this time. And also, it's, like, quite well documented that when he did tour, he, his wife came with him. <laughs> and there's other bios of Evita that lay out interviews with, like, her extended family and the people who knew her that say, like, no, she went to Buenos Aires with her mother. Like, she moved there to become uh, an actor, Mm -hmm. and her mother supported her. Like, she didn't run off with this musician who was also married. Fuck this movie. Fuck this movie, then. (laughs) Fuck it. You're just realizing that now? They they paint this picture that she's a 15-year-old girl sleeping her way to the big city, when that didn't happen at all. Like, that's insane and to be clear there i don't want to say there's nothing wrong with that because there is something wrong with that but it's not her fault yes, <laughs> like correct. there's not something wrong on her side she is the victim of that relationship 100 yes if that had happened she is the victim of the relationship it is not to paint her as some sort of malicious figure for having that done to her the fact that she still succeeded after being taken advantage of by so many men, according to this movie, is a testament to her abilities and her strength. Yeah. And yet this movie continues to be like, fuck women. And it's like, those men should be the villains of this film, and they're not. You you mentioned, like, slut-shaming in the beginning, and you kind of get to an age when you realize that the way the world is set up, like, some people just have to do what they have to do in order to survive and simply live. Is there something wrong with it? It's a yes, but it's not the victim's fault. This movie is like, oh, but it is. At 15, she's definitely the victim, but even in a more adult, consensual relationship, she doesn't owe them anything. Like, this movie paints it like she's like, oh, fuck her for, like, sleeping with him and then not sleeping with him later. And then as soon as she meets Jonathan Price, she's like, no, I'm married. And it's it's entirely dropped. So, like, 
I don't get it. Yeah, like she wasn't even married or anything. Like she's allowed to do these things. She's yeah. allowed to sleep with other men. Why is the movie so obsessed with demonizing that? It's it's very bizarre. And like, especially it's kind of weird. It's like, look at that. She slept her way to the top. And it's like, yeah, but this is also in a world where like when the colonel of the like current military like wants to marry you, like I don't think you're in a position where you can say no. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. So this was about 25 minutes into the movie, and I wrote, nothing, nothing has happened in this film in 25 minutes. And then through the course of one song, she's like, first lady. <laughs> yeah, she's like first lady in the course of one song. And I'm like, holy crap, that went places super fast. There is this whole story in between there that this movie just is like, and she was a slut and slept with everybody, and that's where she is where she is, and you should hate her. I wanted to see that story. That, to me, is interesting. I wanted to yeah. see who she is as a person. We never see who she is as a person. Ever. She does Like, she doesn't have any song to herself, does she? She has her arias, Don't Cry For Me, Argentina, and then, like, Love Me. You Should Love Me or whatever, which I found to be a very problematic song in its own way. Like, again, it's like, right. what are you painting this woman as? Like, why is that the song that she sings? I don't know. But even the song Don't Cry For Me, Argentina is a bullshit song. And I don't mind that because it's a political speech that she's giving. So I don't mind the weird kind of BS of the song, but there's nothing that is an actual I want song. Well, she did. No, she wants to be... I'm going to go to Buenos Aires. Hey, Buenos Aires. I don't know. I guess that's her I want song, but it's stupid and shallow. I don't understand the character. And you made me sit through two hours. And at the end, I still didn't understand anything. I don't want, I don't know who she is. Why did I watch this? <laughs> so she goes to Buenos Aires. She becomes a model. Then she becomes an actor. The actual story of Eva Perón is that she was an actor for about six years. She had very limited success, although near the end of that acting career, she did get onto a very successful radio drama as a voice performer. She actually kind of hit it big. And that cool. was about where she met uh, Juan Perón. She did eventually achieve some some pretty big success, but it wasn't overnight. She worked for about six years with pretty limited success working in theater and film as ve like very small roles. Mm -hmm. But that happens over the course of a montage. Man, does Alan Parker like montages. This whole movie's a fucking montage. It's like, okay, we had a montage to make you hate her some more. Now we're going to do some songs in the present so you hate her. Okay, here's another montage of her looking bad. There's another thing I want to say. So this is a sung through musical. Yep. There are other examples of sung through musicals. The one that jumps to my mind is Rent. Rent is a sung through musical when you see it on Broadway or the, the live stage performance of it. It is modeled after an opera, uh, La Boheme, it takes a rock opera approach where there are recitatives. So recitatives are the dialogue portions of an opera. So they happen between arias, which are like the pop song, the big numbers. And recitatives are structured so that there is very basic accompaniments, basically just like chords in the background. And the dialogue is done in a very loose structure of rhythm. There's no real meter. It often doesn't rhyme. And the notes are like, I am singing, here I am in the theater, <laughs> that kind of a thing. When you're filling out a big opera hall, you can't speak on stage and expect anyone to hear you. That's why opera singing is always the loudest possible singing. You have to get it to the back of the opera hall, right? And so between the songs, you still need to be belting it out like that. So that's what the recitatives are. It's basically speaking, but really loudly, right? Okay, yeah. Like modern musicals you put a mic on them and they can talk between songs. So you don't need to do that. But from an artistic approach, Andrew Lloyd Webber is like, no, we're going to have actual recitatives. So everyone's always singing. And sometimes they're singing like this. Evita, I am talking. <laughs> it's pretty funny. 
I feel bad for Jonathan Price when he has to do that. Oh, fuck. He's got, like, this Rex Harrison sing speak through the whole thing. I fucking hate yeah, it. Yeah, that's, that's what he can do. <laughs> Going back to Rent for a second, when Chris Columbus adapted Rent, he took out the recitatives. He's like, it's a fucking movie. They can speak the dialogue. Yeah. They should do that. Because the problem <laughs> with putting the recitatives in this movie is that the whole fucking movie, you know, from soup to nuts, is lip-synced. Yeah. There's nothing in this movie that isn't lip-synced. Yep. Yeah. It's too much lip syncing. And the thing is, is it's clearly all done in a booth. They were they were not on set singing this. No. Which means that there is no live audio track recorded during the day, like on set. The whole movie is shot mit out sound. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like there's this huge disconnect between the audio and the visuals, and they barely do any foley in this film. You you don't get engrossed into it because it doesn't feel real. I know it's not supposed to be real. It's a musical. I completely agree. It feels like it's a music video. Yes! It's a two-hour music video. Totally. I knew it was a musical, like, going into it, but I didn't know that it was a rock opera. And, like, something about this shitty rock opera, about this weird, like, kind of attempting to be neutral political story just is not immersive. In, in, a, in a movie, in a stage play, maybe right. it's different when you're there seeing it with a yeah. band. Mostly, it doesn't use any kind of choreography. There's no dancing. It's just shots of people sitting in a room talking politics, but they're talking about politics like this. Yeah. And it's like, fucking hell, what? I couldn't get behind it at all. I don't know, man. The characters are clearly singing. He's trying to make it real, but it's a rock opera. Like, do a dance number, you know? <laughs> Do something. Do something. The song before that, which I think is the next one in line, is it starts off with this kind of like shitty blues rock riff and there's tanks coming in. And as a, as a joke, my wife had said, oh, what is this? Like the military coup blues, which is actually what the song is. And she just kind of went, oops, <laughs> because of the first line in the Antonio sings is there was a military coup. And then there's this like yeah. <laughs> over top of like bodies being lined up in the streets and an earthquake with thousands of dead. And that was part of the point where I was like, man, is this film fucked up on like every single level? Like again, in a stage performance where the music is trying to superficially take you through the plot. You know, it like it has to tell you the, the, the key beats. There was a military coup. Perone was in the military. The dictatorship took over. Perone became a labor minister. You need to know that in order to know what his background is. Right. And so you sing like this rock song where it was, there was a coup in 1945, like whatever, yeah. like people are going to jive with it. But like to just shoot a literal coup with just like people dying. <laughs> And you're just Antonio yeah. Banderas is rocking out to it, where he's just like, oh yeah. <laughs> People like there is literally a line. There is a shot of the movie where there is a line of like 50 dead soldiers lining the streets as like the other soldiers loot their bodies. It sounded a little bit like back in the USSR. Yeah, and I'm like, what is happening? Why is this supposed to be so fun? The the music does not fit the imagery at all. It's like if the opening of Saving Private Ryan was set to a song where it was like they went to Omaha Beach, everyone got shot. <laughs> <laughs> it's the <laughs> it's the opening action scene set to a rock opera. <laughs> it's saving That's Private what it Ryan. Feels like. <laughs> <laughs> Please, Where's my arm. I got shot. <laughs> Please, listeners, if any Kabam, of you. Pow. Please edit this together. <laughs> Audience, tune in next week for a very special episode, Saving Private Ryan, the musical, written and performed by yeah. Sean. What are the chances I got shot in the helmet? <laughs> I got shot in the head. <laughs> 
dun, 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 dun. I know the exact shot you're talking about. <laughs> There's a line in this like song about like Perone isn't like I don't remember the rhyme, but like the follow up to the rhyming couplet is like, but Perone is discreetly involved in some very bad plots. They're so vague about this shit. Like yeah. they don't talk about yeah. any of the good, seemingly good things Ava Perone did, but then they're also really vague about the bad things. Just say that he gave shelter to Nazis. After 1945. Yeah. That's where they went. They went to Perone's like, government because he had relationships with the Nazis. Just say these things. Why are you being so vague about both the good and the bad elements of this political story? You're just like, oh, there were some good things, some bad things. Make up your mind. And it's like, about what? You haven't told me anything. Been here for two hours. I learned way more from Wikipedia. Like, that's the best thing I could say about this film is, A, Antonio Banderas is pretty rad, and B, I learn something because of wikipedia we haven't talked a lot about the movie but i we don't need to no because the movie doesn't cover anything the wikipedia cole's notes covers more of the plot than the movie does so i don't feel like we have to walk through a lot of the scenes she meets juan prone at a charity event she marries him he gets put into prison by the military dictatorship because they fear that he's becoming too popular with the masses he's the labor minister She, as someone with a platform on the radio, begins to advocate for removing him from prison using her media platform that she has built for herself as an actress. There is a large public outcry to remove him from prison. He's removed from prison. He runs for president. He's elected. She then is first lady. She goes on a world tour about how wonderful she is, but a lot of people are like, weren't you friends with Nazis? We just defeated them. We're not too keen about you. So it's a... It's a mixed reception. In that song, there is a really funny line of Antonio says, like, they compared you to Mussolini, I can't imagine why, and then gets up and leaves the table in a, in a huff. Because they were kind of allies with Mussolini. <laughs> that goes to your point, is that it doesn't say that. It's like, just say, like, they compared you to Mussolini because you were allies with Mussolini. Like, <laughs> just says, can't imagine why. Anyway, then she comes back, and then there's another montage set to a song where they do- they talk a bit about her charity work, but they talk about it in the form of Antonio Banderas singing a song about how it was corrupt and a lot of money went missing. Mm-hmm. And she's like, it's probably her fault. Yeah. Maybe it is. Accountants get in the way and ledgers take too much work. Like, all these things. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, because that never fucking happens in America today. They got rid of that problem, didn't yeah, they? It happens literally everywhere. It's happening right now. Yeah. I'm skimming money off the top from you guys. The movie takes so much time to demonize her. And then, like, when it explicitly, like, lists what what was wrong about her, it's like, oh, money went missing from her foundation. It's like, like every foundation? Yeah. Uh, Why am I watching this movie? Why do you hate her so much? I don't get it. And there's a really weird line in that film, too, where uh, Jonathan Price sings a line of, like, all the things he did. He's like, well, I helped to get the British out. And I'm like, no, you're not. You're still here. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's so so messed up. The closest to choreography you get in the film is the dance number between Che and Evita at the end before she's dying. I remember the cover of the movie, but I didn't realize the cover of the movie is like her and Antonio Banderas and not Juan Perón, the person she's actually romantically right. involved with this movie. Made no sense. Such a weird marketing approach. It's a weird montage where they sing this song that goes through all of the sets of the movie. But as you said, this movie takes two hours and ten minutes to say nothing basically give a story that we went over in 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, you can get it from the Wikipedia, like, bullet points. The movie starts with your funeral. The movie ends with your funeral. That actually had my favorite shot in the film where, again, Antonio Banderas is wearing, like, a different outfit, and he's at the funeral, and he's singing to the corpse, and he, like, kisses her casket and, like, gives Jonathan Price the best stink I have ever seen as he walks out of the cathedral. (laughs) And then Jonathan Price is like, wait, 
Wasn't that the bartender? <laughs> Wasn't that the bartender and the janitor in her building? And I think he was also the MC at the charity event. <laughs> it has like a uh, usual suspects ending where Jonathan Price like drops his coffee mug and he's like, Antonio Banderas has been everywhere. <laughs> he's been everywhere in my whole life. Anyway, that's the end of the movie. I, yeah. I think we're done. We're done. No, honestly, it's fucked. This movie is so fucked. I stopped taking notes when they got together. Like, I couldn't care less. In terms of box office, it um it actually did okay. Mm-hmm. It made like 150 million worldwide off of approximately a 50 million budget, so it didn't make a lot of money, but it got like three Oscar nominations or something, and five, five. It got five Oscar nominations, and it, Madonna won the Golden Globe. It got mostly mixed reviews, but they're not terrible. Like I think Ebert gave it a positive review. So did Siskel. I think they were both two thumbs up, and I think it was three and a half stars from Ebert. Oh God, out of four, and they're wrong. Like this is a bad movie. This is yeah. bad. It's a bad movie. The next thing that came up on Disney Plus was uh, said it was an Argentine docu series called like Santa Evita. Mm-hmm. That me and my wife were like, oh, I actually kind of want to watch this now because if this is actually like from Argentina, like I might actually get some information out of this and perhaps a more nuanced opinion. Or any kind of opinion that isn't just a woman from Michigan <laughs> lip syncing yeah. to a montage. Okay, let's let's rank it and get out of this thing. <sighs> Bob, what are you going to say? This is my fault. I took full responsibility <laughs> for this. <laughs> it was weird because like kind of at the beginning... I was enjoying how stupid it was because I just couldn't believe how ridiculous this movie was where Antonio Banderas is singing this rock opera as the narrator. And it was funny for a little while. And then as it kept going, it became much less funny. And it's like Antonio gave me this like winky eye through the TV screen that was like, that's right. The joke's on you. (laughs) (laughs) This might be number 41 below Mrs. Doubtfire. Wow. That's really low. That is low. Yeah. I knew it was going to be bad. I mean, it's still above the Even Stevens movie. It's funny when I when you type in Evita on Disney Plus because you have to do EV like that comes up first. <laughs> Are you sure you don't want to watch the Even Stevens movie? Yeah. Might be better. <laughs> Might be. You can take elements out of this movie that I kind of like. After listening to it and then going back and listening to the original concept album, I think this might be my favorite Andrew Lloyd Webber score. Like, <laughs> it's not amazing. It's not great, but it's it's not bad. Like, I yeah. kind of like it. I find the acting fine. It's not great, but it's, I guess it's fine. And I think it looks suitably epic and it's well shot. I don't think any of these pieces work well together. Like, the visuals don't match the fact that they're just doing a rock opera. I think the performances, to the extent that they're good, everything is lip-synced. And it's like, why? What? Like, I'm not getting anything out of this. So even though there are a few good things, it is less than the sum of, the, sum of its parts for me. But I still have to put this above the Three Musketeers because fuck that movie. <laughs> so this goes to number 38 on my list. That's pretty close to me. I think I need to clarify something is that Madonna's performance is fine. She's a very gifted and capable singer. It's like you say, she's just performing as if it's a music video. She's just singing. Well, they all are. It's not really her fault. That's the approach they took to the movie. And I don't know. Jonathan Price isn't. Well, he's Rex Harrisoning it, but. Yeah. <laughs> it's a two hour music video. It's too long. It feels like it goes on forever because you're like, these are supposed to be three and a half minutes long. Yeah. And then you're supposed to get a Beavis and Butthead short. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rob, what, what are you going to say? I'm echoing a lot of the points you guys said, but I do have a caveat here, and it's uh, Avita DNF did not finish. We were watching it pretty late on Thursday night. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to come back to this tomorrow. 
And it is like, uh, can we just, I don't, I don't want to come back to it. We'll just finish it. I was like, go ahead. So I went and cleaned up the kitchen while she watched the last 30 minutes of the film. Uh, and I listened to it. And I was like, yep, still getting nothing out of this. I think you probably got the same as us, though. You did, though. Yeah. Like, that's the thing is you, you didn't miss anything. The visuals and the audio are so disjointed that it did not engross me in any way, shape, or form. I was on my phone on Wikipedia the whole time. Uh, so I'm putting this as number 44. That is wow. below Million Dollar Duck, but just above The Adventures of Timmy Meadows, or a.k.a. the Even Stevens movie. Sounds bad. Sounds like it wasn't a very good movie. I apologize. I'll try not to do this to us again. <laughs> you know, we were finally going to have another Robbie pick because he's finally made it through the yeah. um, six weeks of not being able to choose a movie. But um, I feel like someone has to be punished for the fact that we watched Evita, and I yeah, feel like Bobby. we should extend... Robs. No. Yeah. I feel like someone has to be punished. <laughs> God, no. I, you know, Sean, you're right. I think someone needs to be punished, and so far it's voted two to one. No, no. All right, Rob. Uh, look, um, I've been I've been on a band for way too long. Okay. I've been looking forward to this. I promised I would pick a good movie, and then you didn't stop me from picking Evita. So <laughs> yeah, it's really your fault, Rob. It's not my fault. It takes two people to pick Evita. It takes Bob to pick it, and it takes Rob <laughs> to allow Bob to pick it. No! And to be fair, I if you listen to the previous episode, I picked Evita because of what you did to us. I had to hurt myself before you could hurt me. So really, like, I am the victim and you are to blame. It leads back to Rob. Everything leads back to Rob. Look, I suggested those three films so we would pick The Lion King. Sean, you chose to watch all three and then ended up really liking The Lion King. Why are you getting upset at me? Because you also made us watch Luck of the Irish. Listen, Rob. Um, I understand your concern. So, listen, we're going to put it to the audience. We've already put out a poll. It's on Spotify. The poll says, <sighs> no, seriously, should we extend Rob's ban? Uh, it was on the episode for Escape to Witch Mountain. If you go onto Spotify, you can vote in our polls. The next one is probably also going to be about Rob. <laughs> I'm looking at it now. And the vote is 100%. Yes, we should extend Rob's ban. So, Rob, the people have spoken. If there's one thing I've learned no. from Avita, it's that you should never fight the people. The voice of the people is the voice of God. And so... <laughs> oh, my God, that's a loaded joke. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, Rob, we're going to have to extend your ban for another two weeks. And instead, we are going no. to watch both versions of... Of Pete's Dragons. So oh tune in next week, listener, to get another bad musical, no doubt. Are you seriously doing this? Rob, the people have spoken. <laughs> oh, my God. I, you <laughs> know what? When spoken. I come back from my band, then I'm going to actually pick Teen Beach, too. Well, listeners, we're going to put this into the next episode of Spotify. No! Should we extend <laughs> Rob's band again so that we don't no. need to watch Teen Beach, too? He's already said what it's going to be. Okay? So please, listeners, we're counting on you. <gasps> um, we got to wrap up this episode. Uh, no, Bob, I, do you want to... I, I did not agree to this. Bob, in your best recitative, uh, can you sing, tune in next week to the podcast War Tennis Shoes? So is that sing speaking? Just sing mundane tasks, like, I'm going to go pick up the phone, and then say, you know... No, that's a melody, Rob. That's a melody. So recitative is like, tune in next week <laughs> to the podcast War Tennis Shoes. Okay, so perfect. You already did it, so I'm good. <laughs> that's the show. If you have a suggestion for a movie we should cover next time, send us an email at thepodcastwartennisshoes at gmail.com. We can also be reached on Facebook and Twitter at Podwar. 
That's at P-O-D-W-O-R-E. And if you like the show, give us a good review on your podcast platform. It really helps us out. We hope you tune in next time. Thanks.